this is Felicia Day, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. that intrigued me about coming to Washington for this job was the commitment to open government. That the administration was serious about uh, working on transparency and uh, felt strongly that the National Archives had an important role to play in that process. And I've been working hard to make that, make that happen. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast, as well as the GBBpodcast.com. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If it isn't, I would invite you to go right now, pause the show. Well, not if you're driving or something, but if, if you're sitting at your desk, pause the show and go write us a review on iTunes. We would love for you to do that. It really helps us out. And it gets the show in front of uh, more eyes, which is never a bad thing. So this week we are joined with Jamie as usual and me obviously, and we are joined with our lady Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello! Thanks for having me back. No problem. We love having Samantha. For those that don't get the joke, if you didn't hear it last time, we have a recording software, and her name in the recording software is our lady. So anyway, that's what she's going to be called from now. On. <laughs> yeah, or, or my liege for sure. Yes, okay. There you go. We're in a hurry, my liege, my lady. <laughs> <laughs> I expect you to be in Renaissance Fair like attire if that's going to happen though, every week when we come on. <laughs> um, sure, I'm right just on top of that, Rose. Just close <laughs> your eyes and imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. Ugh. Ugh. Well, see now that I'm visual. just thinking. Now I'm just thinking about turkey legs. <laughs> not not because of you, but because of the Renaissance Fair. That's what you eat at a Renaissance Fair. <laughs> And now I'm thinking about Disney. Look how that goes. Okay. All right. All right now that I've dug that. myself a hole, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on to whatever we're talking about today. All right. So so you guys did another fantastic interview. And I I sat this one out. And I found out why. Because. <laughs> I found out why. Archive, archivist of the United States. Is that what you said? Yes. He's the archivist of the United States. Archivist. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a crazy like comic book villain like uh i don't know like a like a title or something i don't Not know the like anarchist the yes. archivist. <laughs> I, so I, I don't know i got i got a little vibe from him that uh, you claim him a super in, villain no I mean, there might be a little anarchy cover. in his soul you know uh, not afraid to shake things up if he needs it's a good cover though if you think about it like you gotta <laughs> have someone in there <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, tell me. I, okay, I need to know what what's his name first of all, and what does what does he do? What does the job entail all right. for, so for he, the people like me that have no idea? Because I'm Canadian, and we probably have an equivalent, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I would imagine you do have an equivalent, although I don't know what that 
is either. Um, his, so his name is David Ferriero. He is the archivist of the United States. Um, so the, the the National Archives is the branch of the federal government that is uh, responsible for maintaining and organizing and preserving the federal records in a nutshell. So it's basically a library for all of the federal documents. So um, memos, letters, paperwork, emails, tweets now, all kinds of documentation pertaining to every branch of the federal government. Um, many people who visit D.C. will go to the National Archives building on the National Mall, which is where you see the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Um, it is much more than that, as we talked to him about. It's, what did he say, 44 different buildings across wow. the country? I think it was 44 uh, across the country. So there, I know, so there's the National Archives um, on the Mall. There is, um, up here in Maryland, closer to me, there is a, a building called Archives 2, uh, which is basically their offsite store. It's a huge storage facility, but uh, researchers can go there and um, use it like a library, basically. Um, it, the archives also encompasses all of the presidential libraries. Uh, so if you've ever been to like, um, I don't know, like the Truman Library or the Nixon Library or the Reagan, you know, any of the, the every, not every, but uh, many of the ex-presidents have their personal papers are part of their presidential library. The National Archives um, controls that and oversees that. Um, and David Ferriero is at the top. He is the archivist of the United States or AOTIS. You know, there's POTUS and FLOTUS and SCOTUS and he is AOTIS. Um, and uh, it, it made, I think a nice counterpoint to our conversation with Dr. Carla Hayden, who is the librarian mm -hmm. of Congress. Um, they are, you know, I think in many people's eyes, they're kind of similar institutions. People just see kind of like, oh, you're a library. You know, you have a lot of books and papers and people can go research stuff there. Um, but they have very different missions. And I think it was um, really good. They were like flip sides of a, of a coin almost, though, I think, in the conversations that we had. What, do you, what say you, Sam? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think really the nuance of it, at least for me, was for the archives, they're, they're doing a very similar role in preserving um, items from, from history. Uh, and it will involve books and it will involve emails and all sorts of things. But for them, it's, it's our way as citizens of the United States to know for sure what somebody said and what somebody did um, right down to Jamie. You mentioned it because because we called him on this. We were like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Can you confirm this for us? It, you'll hear in the interview. Um, they archive all the tweets for all of the federal employees of the <laughs> United States. All of them. Including deleted ones <laughs> including deleted tweets. So that's what even, I was about to ask. Yeah. Even if you delete it, the archives still has snatched it. Wow. Yes. So it's there and you can get to it. And it's so for me, it's all about um, for the archives. It's all about transparency of the federal government. It's finding out what they've done, why they've done it, what the records are on it. Whereas with the Library of Congress, it's more they're actually preserving, you know, like historical items and books and, and papers and such as well. Um, and they have lots of interesting collections, but it's not so much about transparency of the federal government, whereas the archivist that's yes. his job 
And we go into a lot about that, increasing the transparency through what he's been doing since his appointment. It's uh, very cool to learn about. I was very fascinated by that. Yeah, it was good. I wish we had more time. I mean, he's, uh, we were, I was joking with Sam after we got off the call um, with him is that, you know, a lot of the people that we talk to are not that they're not busy, um, right. but they have a little bit, their schedules are a little bit freer. They're, they're artists or they're writers, you know, and they kind right. of make their own schedule. So we get on with them. We're like, you know, do you have a hard stop? And you know, what's time frame do you have? And many people are like, Oh, I got a couple hours. I got all afternoon. I got nothing to do, <laughs> you know, but like he, he's, you know, as a, as a federal employee, as a, as a, you know, civil servant, he, you know, this, it took a long time for us to just get on his calendar. Right. Um, and so, you know, we had 30 minutes with him and I wanted to respect that time because I knew he had to jump to some other meeting and his, you know, his day is like meeting after meeting after meeting. Wow. Um, so I wish we had more time with him uh, because we, we sort of, we scratched the surface, I think, of what we could have talked about and what the archives really does because we kind of just talked about um, his day to day and and what, you know, some of the more bigger picture things that the archives mm-hmm. does. We didn't even talk about those other 43 institutions that they have across the country. We didn't talk about the presidential libraries and, and how those are founded and who, how they pass off responsibility. And, you know, when you're going back into history, you know, not all 45 presidents, well, 44, because one of them was, has two numbers. Um, not all 44 presidents have their own library. Um, you know, and I, I would have loved to have asked, you know, are you, are you looking to go back into history and create presidential libraries for some of these historical presidents mm. that don't have one now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for next time, I would love to have them back. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But that's why this one, this one was sort of like 30 minutes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it, we take what we can, what we get. Exactly. So we're going to go play this interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, I just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to chat. Happy to do it. So, so just a quick story, if you have time. Yeah. Um, you know, we were shut down last week. Yep. Um, and the Washington Post did an article interviewing folks who were in town and interviewed a family from Shaker Heights who um, were, des- were intending to come to the National Archives. And the fourth grade daughter of the family... Um, gave a quote to the post that she wasn't interested in coming to the National Archives anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so I took that kind of personally and wrote a letter to her uh, explaining how disappointed I was and explaining how wonderful the archives is and told her about the sleepover, blah, blah, blah. Um, last Friday, her father sent a letter. Her father is a constitutional lawyer in um, Shaker Heights. <laughs> that explains <laughs> why coming... she wasn't interested. <laughs> That's right. They're coming to our sleepover on the 24th. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. I love happy that. Ending. Yeah, isn't that great? That is fantastic. Yeah, oh, the, and she's not going to be upset at all because it was such a, it's such a great event you guys do there. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic. Um so thank you so much for taking the time. I, I said that already, but uh, it really is a pleasure to have you here. Um, and I, I, as a, I'm not a native DC, I didn't grow up here, but as a current DC resident, I always love to sort of get that behind the scenes peek at what goes on in town that people might not necessarily know about or hear about all that often. So it's a, it's just wonderful to have you pick your brain a little bit. 
Um, Happy to do it. Happy to do it. You were appointed in 2009 by then-President Obama, and since then, I know you have sort of made it a priority to um, try to get the archives a little bit more accessible to the public, and the the sleepover, which you just alluded to, is is part of that. Um, Could you talk a little bit about what you've been doing, and maybe in addition to things like the sleepover, what else you've been trying to get get it more out there and get more people excited about and in, into the doors? So I've been trying to, um, we're, we're, uh, I like to describe us as the best kept secret in town mm-hmm. that not a lot of people know or understand who we are and what we do. So I've um, been focused on working with the staff to figure out ways that we can raise the visibility of the uh, National Archives using the records, the contents to um, to do that. And uh, I like to say that um, because we have the records, we have everyone's story here at the National Archives. So telling stories with the records is, is how we've been doing that. So we, when I arrived in 2009, we weren't doing anything with social media. And we are now on 16 different social media platforms wow. using that as a vehicle for getting our records out there in facsimile form, using the records to tell, to commemorate anniversaries, to celebrate, you know, every day, 365 days, it's some kind of day, mm-hmm. using the records to commemorate days, but also helping people learn how they can uh, easily use um, the records online and to do family research, to do, to meet um, school project needs, um, all kinds of ways of, of exploiting the, the records for personal use. We, um, we've also been, been um, given the opportunity to create a, the National Declassification Center within the National Archives, which has given us an opportunity to work with previously classified material, which is another way, a wonderful way, of increasing access and opening up uh, opening up the records. I mean, the, the thing that, that intrigued me about coming to Washington for this job was the commitment to open government, mm-hmm. that the administration was serious about uh, working on transparency and uh, felt strongly that the National Archives had an important role to play in that process. And I've been working hard to make that make that happen. So how are you guys going about that? Like, what is required for you to declassify something that was previously classified? How, how long does it take? How hard is it? Are there some things that you're just not going to be able to, to declassify that you wish you could? If you could give a little more info. Sure. So the National Declassification Center was established by an executive order from the president with a mandate to review about 400 million pages of previously classified uh, documents going back to World War One. With a mandate to do this review, um, this was established in um, at the end of uh, 2009 to re- finish that review by the end of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and established only two criteria by which a document could uh, maintain its classification if it related to weapons of mass destruction or national security it need to be 
uh, remain classified. Everything mm-hmm. else um, was fair game for review. Um, unfortunately, it didn't give the archivist the um, authority to declassify. It gave me the opportunity to convene the original classifiers to review their work. Mm-hmm. So the, the real um, benefit of this um, process, of this, this work, has been the creation of a process to bring together the agencies to review their work. And that's an ongoing, ongoing process. Um, we were, the 400 million was a backlog in review. The process that we've worked out, um, I hope, is going to eliminate uh, backlogs in the in the future. But I'm pleased to say that in the we finished the um, the work on time and re, and released about 85 percent of what, what had previously been declassified. That was and higher just, than I expected of the percentage. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with that part of it also, but more, even more pleased with the process. And the exciting thing for me was that the four oldest documents going back to World War I were formulas for invisible ink. <laughs> they, had been classified, they had been classified by OSS, you know, the predecessor of CIA. Yeah. And uh, just before he left office, Leon Panetta, um, made uh, head of the CIA, made a, had a press conference and announced the release of these four documents. <laughs> Were there new recipes he, in there for Invisible Ink that we didn't know yes. about previously? Really? Yes, and, and they had been there had been requests to review for declassification over the years, and in fact, there, there was a note on it from the CIA to review in 2020. The reason that that they were released is that my staff um, discovered, using Google Books, discovered that they had actually been published in 1930. Wow. They only thought they were classified. That's right. (laughs) I was especially especially pleased because during my five years at the New York Public Library, I worked with Google to um, digitize a million books. So... Nice to have my staff using Google Books. It all comes around. It's one big circle, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> have you found, um, has there been a lot of public interest in those, the, 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 the declassified documents, or has it mostly been researchers? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and we've, we've engaged the, the community in helping us um, decide what to, to establish the priorities for, for the review. So we've, um, um, when this... Um, unit was established we convened two public meetings here in washington to get some sense from the community what what are the most important things and we have maintained a um, running list with uh, with people who can input um suggestions for for what is most important to them what things that they're looking for hmm. so we've you know recently released um the um Panama Canal diplomatic records, for instance, the Iran hostage crisis records, the um, uh, all of the Berlin Wall material, mm-hmm. and people could just walk into the archives and request it. They don't have to do that. It's all online. It's all online now. Wow. It's all online. Nice. Yep. Yep. That's amazing. Gosh, 2018. So we're living in the future. It's crazy. <laughs> But there's so much more to do. I know. <laughs> I bet it feels uh, 
pretty daunting. Um, something you just mentioned there um, caught my ear. You're the first librarian to ever be the archivist, aren't you? Scary, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's very cool. I, I have this fascination with, with librarians. Um, it, it was a former dream job of mine. Uh, could you maybe give some examples of how your your years of experience, I think it was over 30, I read, um, with various library systems has helped you in your goals that you set when you became the archivist? Sure. I've, I've spent um, most of my professional career uh, all of my professional career in public service, working with the public, uh, helping um, in my academic background, helping students and faculty learn how to use libraries, learn how to find the information they need to do their work. So I've always um, been looking at the work that we do from the user's perspective. How easy is it for people to get information? And I think that's that's the you know a, a common theme among what librarians do, yeah. and that was the you know the the set of competencies, the skills that I brought to this job, taking a look at all of the routines that we have, um, from what it's like when you walk in the door to how difficult it is to request information in the in, in the online world, how easy is it to find the information you need. Um, how good are the tools that we've made available online for people to access information? And a huge focus on digitizing as much as we can so that people don't have to come to Washington to to do their research, that they can do it from wherever they are in the world 24 hours a day. You talk about the ease of accessing that information, and I know that how important that is, but it's... it's in, in, Something interesting that I read was that you are a fan of Wikipedia, and there's no place on Earth or in cyberspace that you can get information easier from. Um, but that also comes with a lot of risks in terms of you know what's real, what's fake, what's you know trusted, and, and you know teachers um, still warn students away from citing Wikipedia or using it as an only source. So what is it that you see? Um, that makes that a valuable resource? It really bothers me that teachers who do that aren't using Wikipedia as um, a, a way of teaching critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, the paper environment um, was kind of easy that reputable, reputable publishers were publishing, you know, reference works. And so that we could pretty well, you know, not not have to second guess whether the information was was valuable or not. But in the online world, um, you know, anyone anyone can be a publisher. What Wikipedia has done is made it possible for people who have information to share that information, and and there's a lot of expertise out there in the world that isn't necessarily in the formal information network mm-hmm. and Wikipedia in a managed environment not everyone gets to edit um, or to post um, has offered an opportunity for people to contribute and I um, am a big fan of it because it's enabled us to tie our um, information to Wikipedia content 
So, for instance, there are about 5,000 articles in Wikipedia that rely heavily on National Archives material. Right. And every year, for the past three, past three years now, we have gotten over one billion hits. One billion hits Jeez. on our content through Wikipedia. People clicking through to the to the, to yeah. the, to the source. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Do you have anybody? I mean, does anybody there at NARA? Do, does anybody go through routinely or irregularly to make sure that things are being represented correctly or that the those those sources are being um, cited accurately? Um, we get we have a fair amount of um, review by our own staff internally, and then it, this is a community. Um, the community picks up on you know errors that that they they catch. Yeah. Huh. It's it's you know we you hear so much negative about Wikipedia. You know I mean we all use it. We all nobody's going to deny it. I use it's you know you Google anything and it's the first thing to come up and it's it's ubiquitous and you know in learning about anything now is that your first yeah. stop is usually going to be Wikipedia, but you always hear the negatives from, you know, academics or people who are in quote unquote in control of that information. So it is, it is very interesting to hear you as, you know, the archivist of the United States who is, you know, has responsibility over, you know, so much of the federal government's information in history to say that, that it is actually a valuable resource and that we shouldn't be ashamed of using it. I'm a I'm a big fan, and I, I think we were the first agency to have a Wikipedian in residence. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, um, a person with expertise in Wikipedia. Wow. You know, who who worked with my staff to educate them about the potential, the possibilities, huh. and um, um, it's now it, it's now fairly common to have resident Wikipedians in in agencies. Wow. It never even dawned on me that there was such a thing. <laughs> um, without, without getting too political, um, could you just talk about how your job and the mission of the archives changes with a change of administration, whatever, whoever that might be in between whichever party? Like, how does that affect what you guys do at, at the National Archives that's, at all? That's the, yeah, that's the the joy of being where I am. This is an independent agency, nonpartisan. We're responsible for the records. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't matter what administration it is, uh, what party it is. The work is governed by two sets of laws, the Federal Records Act and the Presidential Records Act, that spell out how the records are created, maintained, and transferred to us. And um, as I said, it, it doesn't... It doesn't depend upon whether it's a Democrat or Republican mm-hmm. in office. I mean, the interesting the interesting um, uh, dynamic is the period of transition between administrations. There are forty one hundred uh, presidential appointees, political appointees, in an administration. So that means that when during the transition there were 4100 people leaving government and 4100 coming in so ensuring that those people who are leaving are leaving their records behind mm-hmm. um, in a way that that they can be then transferred to us and at the same time educating training uh, 4100 people coming in 
about what the rules are and how they um, how they need to be creating and maintaining their records. Yeah, you know when you think about someplace like the National Archives and the, you, you you've used the term records, you know you think of boxes of papers and and file folders and you know things that the founding far, founding fathers you know had in in their desks and that's what you guys are storing and maintaining but that's not the case today you know records and, and data is far more ephemeral you know it's we're talking emails and and digital documents how and tweets don't forget and, the tweets oh and the tweets can't forget the <laughs> tweets it's a huge part of everything now um, right. i mean how how much does that like for the archivists that are on staff, like how how much do, are they still dealing with those older paper documents, and how much are they dealing with digital data? They're de- they're dealing with both actually because we're in this transition phase now. We've been um, the agencies have been creating electronic records using electronic mail since um, basically the Reagan administration so that we've been capturing uh, electronic mail. So we're in this um, bimodal uh, um, operative mode right now between paper and and digital, but we're sh- we're shortly coming up on a period where it's going to be all electronic. Um, by the end of 2022, we will not be accepting any more paper. All the agencies will have migrated to fully electronic record keeping. Hmm. So that's what the future looks like. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a lot of training of staff involved in that, too. People who aren't sure. necessarily used to working with digital documents or, or you know, ones. Well, actually, actually, the agencies have been in this space for some time now. Yeah. So this, this, is, this isn't new. Okay. You mentioned the tweets. Are, are, are tweets actually archived there? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We, um, we got a lot of experience during the, the previous administration um, with capturing tweets, so we're on top of that. Even the ones that get deleted? Even the ones that get deleted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually what I was hoping to hear, because it is so easy to delete a tweet, right, um, after after you've done it. Because I've, I've deleted one before, only because it was so full of typos. I don't tweet from my phone very often anymore because of that one. Um, But I started thinking about that, like you see these, and I read them like live when they happen sometimes. And then I'll go back to refer someone to something I read, and it'll be gone. And yeah, and so that's, that's very good to know that, you know, not really gone. Not really, not nothing's really ever really gone. <laughs> yeah, it's gone for me. Let's put it that way. I didn't know how to find it, but yes, yeah. that that's actually very reassuring to me that there these records will still be there in twenty years when my son is trying to understand what happened in two thousand seventeen and onward. Well, and it's it's also you know I also think about you know having having spent so much time at MIT and and thinking about those folks who are interested in the, in the history of science and technology we're we're it's important f- uh, to me to make sure that we're going to be able to tell the story about how technology was used in the government mm-hmm. um so this is an important period of of the so, the whole social media phenomenon it's important that we're able to capture that so that people can study it in the, in the future yeah you know, I, we just talked about that. I talked about how, you know, when people think about records and, and information, they think about paper, or at least I do still, because I'm old. Um, you know, and I think when a lot of people think about the National Archives as, as a building, 
in D.C., they think that it's one building, and that's where you get to see the Constitution, the Declaration. Um, but that is so far from the truth. I mean, what what would you want everyone to know about the archives and its collection and the mission of the institution? That we are the, the nation's record keeper and that we have been at this business since the 1930s. And we're now in 44 facilities across the country, including 14 presidential libraries, a collection of about 13 billion pieces of paper and parchment, 43 million photographs, miles and miles of film and video, and about 6 billion, 6 billion electronic records um, so far. So it's a massive, massive collection um, with uh, mission the same mission that we had when we opened is to collect and protect and most importantly make available the records of the countries so that people can hold their government accountable and learn from the past. That's what we're all about. That's fantastic. Um, how, how, we had uh, Dr. Hayden, Librarian of Congress, on the show, um, and we talked a little bit about this, but from your perspective, how much collaboration is there between the archives and the library? We're, um, we're also, we also already have um, a, a great history of working together on things like digitization and preservation because we're, we're basically in the same business. We have different kinds of content, um, but we're in the same business of collecting and protecting and making available all different kinds of, of information. So our preservation needs are very similar. Uh, preservation staffs are very similar, and we're we're all. Smith, I would throw the Smithsonian into this mix. Also, we're all in the same business of trying to get as much of our content digitized as possible. So we have great collaborative opportunities there. Carla and I are old friends. Um, we've um, known each other for a long time. We're both librarians, so we're already plotting on other kinds of collaborative things. Um, yeah programming and exhibitions and she wants to horn in on my sleepovers too yeah we we talked about that we talked about that <laughs> she had talked about a uh some kind of like a progressive evening between the three oh the she wants to serve thomas jefferson's macaroni and cheese yes <laughs> yes she that is exactly what she said she wants you know you start you start at you know the smithsonian with with a dinner and then you go to a sleepover at the archives then you have breakfast at the library Please tell me that this is actually happening. <laughs> uh, we're 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 talking, we're talking. <laughs> I will be first in line for tickets if that happens. <laughs> but she also talked about a lot of the you know pop culture events that the library has been doing. They they co-sponsored some events around Awesome Con, the Comic Con here in DC last yeah. year. Um, yeah. They've done some stuff. They did some stuff with Wonder Woman. They had Linda Carter at the library. Is that a direction yeah. that you would like to see the archives move in as well, or are you more limited because of your mission as government documents? Not particularly. We um, we've done a lot with um, booze. Um, <laughs> God bless. Um, you, sir. The, the, yes. the records allow us to do just about anything. So. We were very successful in a um, an exhibit called What's Cooking Uncle Sam, telling the story about the government's role in telling people what to eat and when to eat it, um, which allowed us to do all kinds of wonderful um, popular uh, programming around food and working with chefs in town. 
and then that led to um, an exhibit called Spirited Republic, where we did the same thing about the government's role in booze, and engaged the bartender community, the mixology community in D.C. in helping us tell that story, uh, creating um, drinks from mm-hmm. the records, um, replicating um, drinks from the records, so we we look for those kinds of angles to um, once again educate people about who we are and what we do, and to to um, create some fun around the records. Yeah, you, um, you 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 give hope. You so before you became a librarian, you were an English major, correct? Yes. So you right. Give, you give hope to English majors everywhere. Um, and this is this is something that I, I was an anthropology major, so it's ah, you know, I was probably yeah. even more useless than an English major. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, we're pushing STEM disciplines, IT, quote unquote, hard science. We're pushing these on kids today so hard. It feels like it's yeah. to the detriment of the humanities. You know, like we're not telling kids that they should be English majors or history majors or mm-hmm. art history majors. It, it, is that a mistake that we're making? I think um, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of um, liberal arts programs. I think kids need to be exposed to a balanced program that that covers the humanities and the social sciences and science, and and let them decide. It's it's really a, a huge mistake to. It bothers me that kids get focused so early on, um, you know, a professional career perhaps without getting that broad liberal arts base. It's very important. Yeah. Um, we talked about the, the, the sleepovers, and I just want to mention it one last time before we let you go. So the, I, I've, I've been shouting this from the rooftops is, since we did it. Um, the, the sleepover program at the archives is one of the... If the archives itself is one of the best-kept secrets of, of D.C., then the, the sleepover at the National Archives is... I don't know what you even call it. The best kept secret of the best kept secret. Um, and if you go, you might even be lucky enough to get David Ferriero, the archivist of the United States, to serve you pancakes in the morning, which for me was the highlight of the of the, of the event. I have to be honest. It wasn't sleeping on that wonderful marble floor. That wasn't the highlight. The the actual so let's get this clear there wasn't a whole lot of sleeping to be had. <laughs> it wasn't because of the marble floor. The marble floor wasn't so bad. It was the however many people two hundred people um, crammed yeah, into yeah. the rotunda sharing that space and all the snoring. I'm a light snoring. Sleeper. I'm course. a light sleeper right. and the snoring <laughs> echoing through the rotunda is what did me in. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> So anybody who comes to D.C. as a tourist or as a resident, make sure you time it for one of these sleepovers. Um, an unofficial plug, the Smithsonian does them also. I haven't done them personally yet, but I, I can personally vouch for the archives. You guys do an amazing, amazing job. The museum there is incredible. The rotunda with the the, the founding documents is incredible. Um, I, I, I just can't say enough about it. You guys, are, you guys are doing an amazing job, and I just thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure. Keep um, up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. You too. <laughs> You're doing a little bit All more right. important than work than we are. <laughs> it's a good thing that I wasn't involved on in this interview because I would have wasted the valuable time because you've obviously asked him great questions. 
and I would have been totally asking about how realistic the chances are of Nicolas Cage actually performing that heist in National <laughs> Treasure. You know, so I, I, I contemplated asking that question, but I'm sure... Well, I, I, I was about to say I'm sure he's been asked that question a lot, but I don't know if he has or not. You know, I'm sure he's addressed it. Right. Um, you know, probably if you go back to when that movie was new and relevant, um, he probably <laughs> I don't think he was in office when that movie came out, though. So I'm sure somebody has addressed how realistic <laughs> that is. But uh, it's a Nick Cage movie, so you can't really take anything seriously right. in those well, things. As if- but... It's a good one. It's and a that's good one. rare with Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I will that's say it's the movie. only Nicolas Cage movie I actually own. <laughs> well, and, and like they're obviously not going to have info for a Hollywood movie about how to trigger the system. How to steal the, the declaration. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, if you do this, they pull the declaration into the chamber underneath of, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> He'd probably just be like, yeah, it'll work. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> I will say, though, that it is true. Anybody who has been to the archives will know um, it is true that the those documents that are in the rotunda, the Declaration, mm-hmm. the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, they are lowered down into a vault every evening. No way. Um, so if you go in during the day to the rotunda, they are right there behind bulletproof glass yeah. that, you know, blocks certain kinds of light. Um, so you can you can look at them. But when the archives closes, they actually are physically lowered down into wow. like some like nuclear bomb proof bunker. Wow. Um, when I did, I've mentioned this so many times that um, my daughter and I did the sleepover there. Yeah. Um, and the, one of the cool things about that event is that you actually do get to camp out and sleep in the rotunda with these documents. So we were right I mean, I, all night I could have put my hand on the <laughs> glass where the Constitution was. So you are physically sleeping right there. Unfortunately, they did lower them down. Oh, um, man. So you had your chance. You had your chance. They So even, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you've got a bunch of 200 snoring kids and their parents, I'm, that's when certainly when they're not going to leave them up for the night. No, of course not. That'd be the perfect opportunity to be undercover to steal them, right? Right? I know. <laughs> I'm sure so, they have a copy. I have a question for our, our listeners. I know Justin you usually do ask, but so this is this is we talked about when we uh, when we talked to uh, Dr. Hayden, the Librarian of Congress, we mentioned that earlier, and now we've talked to David Ferriero, the Archivist of the United States. These are a little bit different for us, you know. A lot of our mm-hmm. episodes tend to be about pop culture. Um, artists, authors, directors, animators, that kind of thing. Um, these are, these these two were sort of experimental. They were, you know, things that um, people and, and topics that I had an interest in, and I know Sam had an interest in, um, and I'm hoping some of you guys had an interest in as well. My question is, do you want to see more of these? You know, what do you come to to this podcast for what makes you subscribe what makes you download what episodes do you like to listen to over others um would you like to see more conversations with people that are not necessarily directly tied to pop culture Mm -hmm. you know we've on both of these episodes we talked we we talked about the smithsonian should i try to get somebody from the smithsonian should we have more people from from politics or from government not that we want to get political but just to sort of get different types of conversations um, that's my question to you. So 
do you do you want us to stick more to the pop culture? Do you like that we spice it up every now and then? <laughs> should we should we have um, you know what was it, Justin? You always said the so crossing guard. We're gonna get a yeah, crossing guard crossing in here guard one day of the year. Yeah, in like yeah. <laughs> what what kind of uh, conversations appeal to you, and who would you like to see more of? Let us know, right. Justin. I you mean, can tell them how to let Bar- us. Know. Barack Obama, even Jamie can get him. You know, I'm working on it. Even. Really, there's only so much. I mean, Letterman got him. We're not Letterman <laughs> quite yet. <laughs> and you could tell if you watch that episode of that show, even Letterman had a t- was under a time crunch. Oh yeah, because he he even he made a comment that like. He only had so much time with him, and he was already running over his oh, time. Oh, of course, yeah. So, <laughs> can you imagine? I only have thirty it's... minutes for you, Letterman. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay, so if you want to get in touch, let us know. Uh, let us know what the question Jamie asked was. Because <laughs> 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 I was listening. No, just, let let us know what you want to hear. That would be great. You can get us at Twitter at the GBB Podcast and Facebook at the GBB Podcast, and you can also just find us on our website and send us an email. I think I have it set. Maybe I don't, but go to our website. You can find it thegbbpodcast.com. And if you want to talk to us, I am Justin at one forty Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. The, at Samantha Fisher on Twitter. And we'll see you next time right here on the great big beautiful podcast if you didn't know the name by now here we'll see you next week (laughs) take care this podcast has been a production of the geek dad podcast network if you've enjoyed this content please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek dad